0: Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Barbara Morgan, and you're listening to Austin Film Festival's On Story podcast. This week on On Story, writer Derek Kolstad, creator of the John Wick franchise, reflects on his thrilling career, how he weaves emotion and humanity into action set pieces, and crafting characters you cannot help but root for. Derek Kolstad is the writer-creator of the popular John Wick franchise, with the latest installment, John Wick Chapter 4, set to be released in 2023. He also wrote on Marvel's hit limited series, The Falcon and Winter Soldier, which has been nominated for five primetime Emmys. 2021 also saw the release of Derek's action thriller, Nobody. Nobody sheds light on a docile family man struggling with aging and encroaching feelings of irrelevance as his children grow up. Kolstad most recently produced the film The Princess for Hulu, which follows the action-packed story of a strong-willed princess who refuses an arranged marriage alliance to an especially cruel sociopath. I sat down with Derek Kolstad for a panel about his work at the Austin Film Festival. I pulled out my copy of... Scorn, which was the original title for John Wick, uh, he said it wasn't that long ago that he wrote it. And it feels like John Wick's been around for a really long time, so that kind of surprised me. So what was the journey to get that script to production?
1: Well, you know, I, I came, came out to LA probably in 99, 2000 from the Midwest, you know, because of John Wick. I was a 15-year overnight success. Um, <laughs> at the time of John Wick, I yeah. had optioned this screenplay called Acolyte I was originally called Simple Man, and it was making all the rounds. Sony and I and my wife, on Friday nights, it was make pizza, have rum and coke, watch bad movies, and have a good time. And we watched two movies that weren't necessarily bad, but it was, you know, they were both revenge thrillers, and it was just like, I've never done a revenge thriller. And so I couldn't sleep that night because the first thing that came to my head was the continental of all places because I, I grew up loving those old East German, West German spy movies and whenever they were in Switzerland they're like, oh hey, you want to grab a drink? And then they left and then they try to kill each other, you know? <laughs> and then the idea of the dog we had seen that in various iterations in westerns where it's like you killed my horse you stole this, stole that. <coughs>
0: really speaking.
1: I heard you struck my son. Yes, sir, I did. And may I ask why? Yeah, well, because he stole
0: John Wick's car, sir, and uh, killed his dog.
1: giving it to Sonia for the first time because she's the first line of defense editor-wise and I heard her in the other room go you know <laughs> you know and big red X and then we talked through it but when you think about it that first draft of John Wick uh, like most first drafts the puke draft was five, six, seven days and then I turned it into the reps in January I did their notes to the end of February there was a little bit of a bidding war but my agent at the time Charlie Ferraro awesome dude He said, we've got some massive numbers out there, but to be honest, we should make it with Thunder Road because they want to make it now. And so I met with Thunder Road. We did their draft into March. We went out to directors, and directors were all saying it should be his whole family. They should slaughter John's whole family. And it was like, it's not the point, you know? (laughs) And then on a Friday, I had a call, and they're like, look, we got the weirdest thing. Like, Keanu Reeves called us. He's heard about the script. He wants to read it. Are you around? I'm like, cool. He's like, I'll just get ready. You not, like less than an hour later, they're like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And so I lived in Pasadena at the time and drove over to his house in the hills. You know, it's not too ostentatious. It is very, very much Hollywood elite. But I walk in the front door and Keanu is surprisingly tall. Most actors are not. And uh, he's about my, he's my height. And it's like Derek Kolstad. And he and I worked every weekend. You know how in kindergarten you always refer to everyone as both first and last names? Uh That's kind of what he would do. And we worked on it for two months. And then he looked at me and he said, I think I'm going to do it. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were. (laughs) Um, And then when you think about it, we shot in November. So I started writing it in January. I sold it in February. Shot in November. And... This is where, like, a little emotional right now. All these pictures came up on my phone. The premiere for John Wick was seven years ago today. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, it was pretty cool.
0: Well, so that really is a Cinderella story.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I know full well.
0: <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the craft of it and what makes it such already, you know, an iconic action film. And just in an interesting way of crafting it just how you which you also did with nobody which is how you opened it the moment you open the script and then you sandwich it at the close and in that one you just have no idea what's just happened here and then you go backwards and build the world for us right
1: because of john wick and to be honest because of john wick two and then especially three when they were like oh you made a franchise the first one was the reaction was a little bit like, loved it, flash in the pan. Second one was like, oh, well, okay. And then third one, like, all right, right? Bob Odenkirk, who's not an action guy, and I'm talking from an audience member, like, he doesn't watch action movies, but he and his wife caught John Wick on the road and called my reps the next day saying, can Derek come in and talk? I want to do that. Because a lot of actors, when you think about it, want to be in Anna Jones or James Bond or, you know, Laura Croft or all these action stars. And... I had a dream the night before, and I told Sonia in the morning, and she's like, oh, you got to start with that. And so I go over to Bob's uh, offices, and I sit down, and I was like, okay, so this is the dream I had last night. You're sitting at the table. You're beating, <laughs> you're wearing aviator glasses. They're broken. Your ear is cut and kind of hanging. You got a missing tooth. And the song, Buy Me a Ticket on an Airplane, begins to play, and it's deafening, but it's only in your head. <laughs> and you reach into your jacket, and you bring out, a pack of cigarettes and as you do that you realize these two fingers are detached like just hanging down so you take the little band off and you tighten together you light a cigarette you've got a, a lighter with a bullet in it and then you reach in your pocket you bring out a can of tuna and the other one little uh, kitten and then you lean back and uh, as the song ends because it's a notoriously short song someone off screen says
0: who the f- are you
1: me um Smash cut to the title, Nobody. And there's this there's silence in the room, and he goes, you're hired. <laughs> and and he, of course, he's like, well, where do you go from here? I was like, I don't know, no idea, you know? But that's the impetus for that. And, and it, in many respects, it's a love letter to the Bond movies.
0: Well, so one of the things I think is interesting about both John Wick and Hutch Manziel is that they're... Um, They definitely have psychopathic tendencies. But, you know, they're doing terrible things, you know? They both don't have control over themselves entirely. So what is it that makes us like them?
1: Well, it's weird because, you know, a lot of what's been said in the first John Wick, you know, like, he's the devil, he's Baba Yaga. He once was an associate of ours. We called him Baba Yaga. boogeyman well john wasn't exactly the boogeyman he was the one you sent to kill the boogeyman he's very much like when you think of clint eastwood from unforgiven you know that that scene at the end where he's like i've killed women and children and you know he does that thing you're like oh this isn't a hero or an anti-hero. This is a bad guy. He just put on the wrong hat, you know? And I think for John Wick, it was looking at the rules of noir. If I'm in the life and you're outside of it, especially in the movies of the 20s and 30s, you know, James, you know, Jimmy Cagney and all that, in Bogart and stuff. If you're a priest and you're a good priest, I give you as much money as I can. Like if the orphanage is running down, I do a fundraiser. But if you're in the life, I'm hard on you, you know? And I think it's a lot of that. In, in,
0: in particular with Nobody... The montage, like you set up, he's nobody. But then it's to me the montage that says everything about the guy. montages. I mean, they, they're really overused and often unnecessary. But in here, by the time you end the montage with Hutch and the trash cans and the breakfast and the, the whole process, I know where he is. So, you know, what's, what was the thought about creating it that way rather than giving us a little bit more information about who Hutch is?
1: I mean, honestly, to give credit where credit is due, that was the editor. And that was the producers, and that was the director. The first act of Nobody was 38 pages long. And it was all in there, and it was all filmed, and all, everything in that montage were scenes. You know how you can do 1,000 hours of work, and then someone takes two <laughs> and make it better, and you could be pissed, but you're like, you did that 1,000 hour to get to those two to get it, that really cool scene.
0: That part of it gives you this forgiveness for what comes next, right? It's like, you know how we got to that spot he's fed up? It's like, I'm done, I can't do this life anymore. And then and then some of the things he does are questionable, you know, over a kitty cat bracelet. Uh, so, so at the same time, you kind of forgive him. I don't know, did you guys forgive him for that? Yeah, clearly, everybody loves Hutch Manzo.
1: I speak, you listen. You know why I'm here, because I'm a good man. I'm a family man. Most of all, I'm a man who did not deserve your gun. In his face. Now, the watch. The kitty cat bracelet. Pop, I don't know what the it. F- Give me the gun! F- f- kitty cat bracelet, mother! F- what you talking about? I swear to God, I don't know! The gun! F- bracelet. I hope you find it! Whoa whoa, 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 please, man! I don't know where it is! I swear to God, I don't know!
0: The other scene, though, that really, I thought, was incredibly telling, and I think it's only about two minutes, is in John Wick when, you know, the dog jumps in this car they drive to the gas station. The Russians are having their conversation. But that moment in the car is, again, it's the same as that montage. Everything we need to know about him to start us going is there.
1: Nice ride. Mustang. Cost 429. She's 70,
0: 69.
1: Ah, beautiful car. Thanks. How much? Excuse me. How much for the car? She's not for sale.
0: Oh, I love dogs. Well, you brought up uh, Unforgiven earlier and and one of the greatest things about his character is we never really, even at the end of the movie, know who that that guy was, right? We don't know really what he did. We just get bits and pieces and, and then you build it in your head. And John Wick is definitely that way. Like, in one, you know, you get some of that backstory, but not really all of it, you know? I mean, you gave us a little bit more with Hutch Manziel, but not a whole lot.
1: I start from not enough. I don't go too far. I like even keeping it a secret for myself, so that I can kind of, kind of carve around it, you know. But when you look at Hutch, the term auditor, and I think it was Bob and I just discussing what would be a cool word, and you know, the best scene in Jaws is still the USS Indianapolis story, because suddenly Robert Shaw, and if you watch them, they're all f- drunk, you know. <laughs> but he tells this story, and you're just on the edge of your seat as a kid, and you get goosebumps, but it alludes to a larger world. And so in everything we do, it's like. You simplify the character, plot's important, but should be lean, and you allude to a larger world, even if you don't see it. Short story long, um, I used to be what they call an auditor for those three-letter agencies. Auditor as in uh, the last guy any organization wants to see at their door. I couldn't arrest anyone, so I used to make sure that there was no one left to arrest. And you you love those movies where, like, North by Northwest is a mo- weird movie because it's literally action sequence after action sequence. And if you stop, you're like, what is this movie about? And then you have that one scene with the guy, like, he's a man. He, all he says is, he's a man who deals in secrets. Tell me, what's Van Damme up to? Oh, you could say is a sort of importer or exporter. Of what? Oh, government secrets, perhaps? You're like, oh, cool. I accept, you know. And so it's a lot of those hinting and alluding to a larger world still. And then even in that scene with John, you can see him hesitate, you know. Because one of the things that we always kind of went back and forth on is, did he do this as an excuse to go back to what he was? Or did the dog really mean that much to him? Did his wife mean that much to him? And and over the evolution of it, it's like it's the guy who really wants to go away through a thousand bodies. And there you left, and the way you got out, lying to yourself that the past held no sway over the future. But in the end, a lot of us are rewarded for our misdeeds, which is why God took your wife and unleashed you upon me. This life. ...follows you. It clings to you. Infecting everyone comes close to you. We are cursed, you and I.
0: You have the success with that first John Wick, and then you've got two and three in this short period of time. You don't really leave us at the end of one with something that's like either way. You know, in the crafting of that first one... What do you break down and keep to look at how you're going to create those worlds again in two and three? I mean, to me, two and three are very different.
1: Well, you know, one of the things about working with Chad is, and myself, and why we're a yin and yang in this capacity, is he tends to go super dark and I tend to go a little bit lighter. And so it's, but we both respect that, which has been good. But Chad will want to paint himself into a corner. And then we would discuss how to get the character out. Like, you know, there are moments in movies, and I don't have anything off the top of my head, where you're like, the character you're rooting for does something so dark. You're like, I'm out. Yeah. You know, like, I'll watch the rest of this, but I, I don't I don't give a out. now, you know? And that was always him trying to go darker and us relying on each other to find that kind of perfect balancing act. And for as simple as the story of John Wick 2 is, it was hell in regards to the process because... It was how big, how small, what story, what story now. I think the other thing, too, is you either have to be consistent or you have to go darker. Because right. one of the things that is weird about the lead-to-weapon movies, uh, those first two movies are excellent. And then you go to that third movie, and there is this odd shift into lighter humorous fare. Mm-hmm. And then four is just like, let's bring on Chris Rock. Right. You know, it just it felt... Like, they all have really cool scenes. Yet at the same time, it kind of felt like dinner theater with money.
0: So in one as well, I mean, it is dark for, it's certainly not in the zone of Lethal Weapon and Die Hard because they seem real, right? Like, they could happen. And maybe, I don't know, are you Russian?
1: It's so funny because, like, the bad guys were Russian in John Wick. Just because we were looking at casting, availability and stuff, like, I make them Russian. and nobody, I, I think it was the Korean Mafia, Originally, I can't remember. And then Ilya Neishiler, who's an absolute talented delight, came on board and he's Russian. He's like, we got to make him Russian. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy that makes (laughs) Russians cannon fodder. He's like, yeah, but you do it so well, Derek. And he's like, and Russians love it. We love being the bad guy. And so I was like, okay. So absolutely nothing is the Russians. It just happened to be like, oh, that fits, you know?
0: So in your world... Crafting too. Again, with Parabellum, you brought so many new people in. Like, we're essentially, we have these great characters we are intrigued by in one. And then you have, I mean, it's a, a whole nother setup, right? Like the woman character, I'm terrible with names, but.
1: The adjudicator? Yeah, the adjudicator. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, maybe she didn't have a name.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I think so, she just says, I am the adjudicator. <laughs>
0: But she, she again becomes such a key part of the film, was surprised at, at, that she became so integral to what happens towards the end.
1: It's kind of one of the reasons that when you watch uh, some of our favorite franchises, it's the third or fourth one, that there is that, not exposition dump, but it's like, the curtain is fully pulled back. But it works because it's, it's just it's action, right? Some of the best action sequences in film are not action. It's that scene in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy where Benedict Cumberbatch steals this file. But the way it's cut, the way the music works, the way it's written, you're like, this is an action sequence. So you're just on the edge of your seat. So a lot of times... When you write this, you have to think of every scene as, in essence, action, because that's what we're there for. And yet you'd still have those moments of humor and of, ah, that's why I'm written for him. They say God doesn't close one door without opening another. Please, God, open that door.
0: How much of the visuals in your action film scripts are direction to the director?
1: So you can't look at action as a roadmap. You have to look at it as a catalyst for something cool. Sometimes your action will disappear or the scene will be completely different. But where you put it and why you put it there and how you wrote it got them excited to do what was actually there on screen. But I was like the first one. And the number of times in a screenplay, I'll I'll say and he kicks his leg in to buckle at an unnatural angle. And I hear Sonia from the other room, like, oh, come on, gross.
0: <laughs> Can you give us an example of the bus, for instance? How did that look on the page?
1: Very, very similar, but Bob brought in the humor. I
0: can't be right for this girl's going to get home safe tonight. Right I hope these like hospital
1: food. I've got to be me.
0: Stupid, hey, right? Guys, guys. What
1: are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna f- you up. The movie was designed to have drama, humor, action, all that kind of stuff, but like, it was Bob to do, like, he gets punched and he rolls with it and hits his head, and there's a little bit of, like, you know, Keystone Cops about that, a little bit of the kung fu. And he brought in all of those elements of humor, and yet a lot of those on the page, even when you know, Bob's thrown through the window and then gets up. And The two things that Bob wanted to do but couldn't do is being thrown through the, the window of the bus, kind of makes sense, and then being th- in his house in the siege, being thrown over the table, because the danger there is if he rolls an ankle, you're out for two or three days, and that's super expensive. So he begrudgingly said, okay, And then, of course, the stunt went wrong because if you watch the movie, he's thrown through the window and the guy's leg snags. And so Bob, on set, came up with the limp and then to the bus driver, who was really kind of like, what's going on? But then when he walks inside, I still love the the one guy going, oh, come on. So a lot of that's in the script, even up to the point where the whole time he's not killing them until he lands that, quote unquote, killing blow on the guy and then pauses, grabs the knife and the straw. That was all there, you know?
0: Sorry about the mess. You're still involved in John Wick's life.
1: Not really. Not really. I mean, I mean, I'm a non-writing. I mean, you're
0: not writing the script for
1: the next one. No, because you know, at a certain point, you know, these things become bigger than you. You don't want to be that guy who's like, "Hold up for me," or like, "I never want to have anything." But dude, it got me my career. It's my grandfather's name, (laughs) Uh, and just all of those things. You just you root for it. And it isn't a matter of being cynical and saying, wow, writers are disposable or expendable. It's just recognizing the world for what it is and also saying, dude, I get to do that again. I get to world build again.
0: On Story is brought to you in part by the Alice Kleberg Reynolds Foundation, a Texas family providing innovative funding since 1979. Underwriting is also provided by Final Draft, industry-standard screenwriting software. Find out more information about Final Draft at finaldraft.com. On Story is also brought to you by the Bogle Family Vineyards, sixth-generation farmers and third-generation winemakers based in Clarksburg, California, makers of sustainably grown wines that are a reflection of their family values since 1968. This project is supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department, the Texas Commission on the Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts, on the web at arts.gov. The show is produced by myself, Barbara Morgan, Our associate producers are Jamal Knox, Olivia Crouch, and Colin Heyer. Editing help from Travis Neely and Travis Kennedy Sound. Music is by Brian Ramos. Production assistance comes from The Sound Lab, Inc., Travis Kennedy Sound, and KUT 90.5 in Austin. Go to austinfilmfestival.com to find out more about Austin Film Festival and conference each October. Until next time, I'm Barbara Morgan, and this has been Austin Film Festival's On Story.